All right, so this morning we're reading from Acts 17, verses. And it's Paul addressing, now yeah, I hope I say this right, Areopagus. <laughs> okay. So, Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to mankind, sorry, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Thanks, David. Good morning, church. It's always a pleasure to come and worship with you guys here. I do enjoy coming to One Hope. You guys have such an amazing church and dynamic. Um, for the children's talk, you know what I mean? It's a very true reality that we're living in a time of um, where truth is relative. You know what I mean? It is important to think twice, but I also encourage you to always think of Christ. As you think twice, always think of Christ. Because one of the topics we're going to be looking at today as I share a message on Acts 17 is actually inspired by some of the work that you guys are doing. I mean, I've, I was, I've been blessed to be able to partner and serve alongside some of your street evangelist team. You know, I mean, I'm very encouraged and blessed by the work that you guys are doing, and I, I encourage more of you guys to get involved. But it can be daunting. It can be challenging. And usually it, it is challenging and it's daunting because we're not sure what to expect or how to actually share what we believe or what we know. So I chose this passage because Paul, the apostle, is actually speaking to a bunch of Greek men. People who have a completely different faith and religion. And that's what we'll be looking at today. So I start this service with a question. Um, if we can have to the next slide. If you were to walk around the CBD today and ask people, what is it that you worship? What kind of answers do you reckon you'll receive? 
You might have some people state their religion and say, oh, I believe in Islam, I believe in Hinduism, Buddhism. Or probably you might also receive the response, oh, I'm not really religious, I don't worship anything. So, I mean, I don't worship nothing, I'm not religious. However, it's those same people on their screens, scrolling on TikTok and Instagram, following hundreds and thousands of other people, celebrities. Today, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul as he presents a sermon to a bunch of Greek men who don't know his religion. He's pronounced it correct, the Areopagus, where it's a council of philosophers and lawyers, so very educated people. Okay, It was the common people who have heard him. He was speaking to the Jews. They heard him, and they're like, oh, we need to bring this man to the Areopagus so the council at the Areopagus can determine and listen to what he has to say. So we're going to see him approach. When he was speaking to the Jewish people in the earlier part of the chapter, he was speaking about the old scriptures. But to these men, he takes a different approach. And it's something that we can actually learn as well on how we approach the conversations with non-believers. So, first I ask us that as we look to this text, and as Paul addresses something in which he has observed in just his daily walk through Athens, I want us to also put ourselves in a place where we're reflecting on what could be my own idols. Do I have any other God substitutes in my life? Through these things. Evaluate how do we worship things? What does worship look like? And what are those things that I have unknowingly made my idols of worship? But I have two points. So if you're taking notes, these are two points, and hopefully they're easy to remember for each of us. The first point I'll address is the invisible God. The invisible God who is visible in all creation. The second point would be the intimate God. The intimate God who created us to worship him. So they're the two points that we'll be looking at today. Um, Let us now turn to our text and read Acts 17. So from verse 23. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your... um, Sorry. Of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And he's about to make a statement. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Have you ever sat at a lake, a beach, maybe gone for a hike and got to the top of a mountain, and just in a moment of tranquility... Just wonder to yourself, for a split moment, where did all these things come from? Where did all these things come from? Today, we're we're living in a society. The ancient Romans themselves had all these statues that they made for gods of everything. They had gods of water, gods of war, gods of um, fertility, gods of everything. And in the midst of all these statues and gods that they had to cover... They were like, oh, just in case we miss one, let us build an empty altar to the unknown God, just their step. We Christians believe 
into a one singular God, three persons. And that one singular God, the, Trinit- the Trinitarian God, is a source of all life as we know it. He is the father of all creation. He is the one who created the skies, the lands, the seas, and everything that lives within it. This incomprehensible, uncontainable, unfathomable God or being is what we acknowledge as our God. Anything less than what I've just described is not worthy to be considered our God. If he was anything less than what I have just described, he is not worthy of being acknowledged as God or worthy of being worshipped. However, it's no surprise that people struggle with believing in things they can't see. Only if they can see it, taste it, or touch it will they believe that it's real. Just like back then in ancient Rome. Indeed, even the Israelites had that challenge for when they left Egypt in the Exodus. What did they do? They built their own golden calf and called it their God. So there's something about our human nature, isn't there? There's something about our human nature where we always tend to worship something. We always tend to worship something. And usually it's something that we need to see. It's hard to believe in what we can't see. Um, I'm going to bring it close to home now. Oh, so this is a thing of New Zealand. Just When I was standing there at New Zealand, on the top, one of the tallest mountains of the South Island, the colours of New Zealand is just beautiful. If you ever go there, you'll probably never want to come back. I want to go back there. It's beautiful. But I'm going to bring it close to home because the things that we worship <clears throat> can be a number of things. It could be celebrities, sports teams, lifestyle choices, relationships, careers, money. These are all things that we can possibly worship at times, isn't it? You might not be, agree with me. You'll be like, oh, worship might be a strong word. But if we value those things at the center of our heart and they are the most, uh, they're the things that we give most of our attention to, most of our thoughts go towards, most of our time is committed to them, is that not a form of worship? If I was to take it away from you, it would kind of shake things up. See, the head of the Australian Olympic Committee, before the 2000 Olympics here in Australia, Kevin Gosper said this, the manifest religion in this country is sport, not Christianity, in terms of daily lives, investment and preoccupation in the newspapers. What he means by that is that our nation worships our sport. Do we not? Do we not love our soccer teams, our footy teams, rugby? When the Olympics are going on, we're counting how many gold medals we got. Us Aussies love our sport. And Kevin Gosper, who was, who was the um, part of the Australian committee, said that that is actually the biggest religion in our nation, sport. In the Sydney Morning Herald, they had this um, competition where people can send in a type of poem 
And it had to be in, in regards to a title that they gave, which was, If Christ Was to Come to the Sydney Olympics. And one of the poems that got submitted was this one. If Christ came to the Sydney Olympics, would we have a cause to cheer? Would he preach God's word and heal the sick or just sit back with a beer? Perhaps he'd even raise those who died. But I fear the news reports Christ Jesus, or today Jesus Christ was crucified for distracting us from sports. The trickery in these play words is saying that we would have crucified Christ if he was to come in between me and my sport. Do not distract me from my sport. And that is what the poem is trying to portray. Who here sees that a little bit of that reality in our nation? Maybe it's in our own homes. I don't know you too well to know whether it's Christ or your sport that is worshipped. But we all worship something. Being a street evangelist, sometimes we'll come across other Christians that would say that we live in a godless country. But yet our sports, our careers, and ourselves, we've just substituted our God for other things. We've substituted our God for idols that have no substance, that have no hope, that have no reason or destiny. They have nothing that benefits you if only it was for the temporary. But our God, who created all things for an eternal purpose. See, the difference between the previous slide of all those things that we have made our God substitutes and the God that we worship here in the Christian church, in the Christian Bible, is that our God that we believe in is not an idea or he's not a form of entertainment, someone that is filled with life. He is someone who is filled with life that everything in existence now lives because he is filled with life. Does that make sense? Everything that lives today is because he is filled with life. But unlike our careers and celebrities and sports teams, God doesn't need anything from his creation to maintain his existence. He exists on his own. If a sport team loses its followers, what happens to that sport club? I just go for the Fitzroy Lions. What happened to them? But yeah, you know what I mean? A sport team will become bankrupt if they lose its followers. A celebrity is no longer a celebrity if they don't have followers. God doesn't need us or anything in his creation in order to maintain his existence. He is existent in himself. And God doesn't need anything in his creation to prove his existence because his creation itself proves that his everlasting and ever-present um, place is with us. He works beyond and above us. And for many years, people have gone out of their way to try and disprove the existence of God. There's many books about it. Many people go out of their way to try and disprove it. However, no one's really succeeded, have they? The church still stands. The church is still growing. 
We might be seeing a decrease of Christianity here in Australia, but if you look to the Eastern nations, Christianity is increasing rapidly. So no one has been able to disprove the existence of God, and I'm going to be fair, no one's really proved the existence of God either, apart from Christ Jesus himself. But let us consider, let us consider, if you go to the image, um, yeah, that one, let's consider how life works. This is where we don't need man to try and disprove God, nor can we prove it itself. For the sun itself, heats the, oh, sorry, the trees that live on this world provide us the oxygen that we breathe. Without trees, there'll be no oxygen to take in all that carbon dioxide and to transmit it into oxygen. Okay? So we live and breathe through those things. Then we have the sun. The sun that heats the water rises up to the skies, creating the clouds. As the clouds then fill up with more moisture and become too heavy, what does it do? It rains upon the lands, providing life to all of the earth. So those trees and stuff that feed off those rainy days then grow and increase for our own benefit. <clears throat> to look at it, you would see it works in such a meticulous way that it was obviously and most undoubtedly created by design, not by chance and not by an accident, as some would like to claim. So the God that we worship is invisible. We don't see him like I see you or you see me. But we see God in his creation. We see how he works in such a magnificent way, an unfathomable way. But he's not just a God who steps aside from things or creates things and leaves it on its own. No, he's also an intimate God, an intimate God. And that is our second point. 24, 25 we're going to see how, unlike other religions, the things that we worship, oh, sorry, unlike many other religions or things that are worshipped, they need people, places, or something to maintain it. But our God doesn't. Our God doesn't. And Paul begins to address this in verse 24. He goes, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life, uh, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I want to encourage you to say that we don't have to go to a church or a temple or a building or a, a religious room in order to approach our God. Our God is so intimate that we can come to him right now, any place, anywhere, in a silent moment of prayer, and he will be there to listen. He will receive and hear our prayers. But also, our God doesn't rely on us to serve him so we can continue to be blessed by him. He's not a reactive God where you do first and I'll bless you more. He blesses abundantly because he is the father of all life. He is the father of all blessings, the giver of all blessings. You being here, breathing, waking up this morning is a gift from him. We don't have to do anything to earn his blessings. 
He just is one to give it. So if we see God in that same fashion, then what Jesus says makes more sense when he speaks to the Samaritan woman. What did Jesus say? Well, in John chapter 4, he said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the worship him isn't just to do the physical acts. There needs to be a relationship between us, those quiet times of prayer, that daily meditation. I'm not asking you to do more of it. I'm just saying that we need to do it. And we need to know who the God is that we worship. For many Christians out there follow a false Jesus. An idea of Jesus, not the one that the Bible teaches. So we've got to be mindful of that, to worship him in spirit, but also worship him in truth. Because see, the truth is, friends, God is not affected by the human matters like we are. He's not affected by the everyday things that we go through. His existence is far beyond our understanding. But yet we must remember, as it says in our passage in verse 27, He is not far from each one of us. He's there, sees all things, knows all things. But even more personally, for we understand that those who are trusting in Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour, are blessed with one of the greatest assurances that any human can ever have. The assurance of his presence with him. Because what happens to the one who is regenerate in the spirit, given a new heart in Christ, becomes the temple of his own Holy Spirit. His presence is with us all the time. I was reading this morning um, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, how it says, Be careful to sin in a way of adultery, for you're not only sinning against others, you're sinning against yourself. For do you not know that the Holy Spirit lives within you? One of the greatest assurances is that Jesus is always present with us. We are the symbolic and the literal temples of God. That is one of the greatest. The Bible then says in verse 26 and 27, that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods <coughs> and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. I underlined a section there. Areopagus is the fact that there is a spiritual blindness among humanity. There is a severe yet sincere way and reason why Humankind should be mindful and careful to know God and his purpose. Let me say that again. There is a severe, yes, you should know God and his purpose. John Calvin says, if you can bring up the quote. That's all right. John Calvin says, men must be very careful to know God. Because they be created for the same end and born for that purpose. It is a very important reason. It's severe because we can face the judgment of God, but it's sincere because we can be in the graces of God. And our core purpose as creation, our core purpose for existence is this. Because I know many of you 
especially young adults and going through university or high school, just wondering, like, what is my purpose? It's a very common question of today's society. What's my purpose? Your core existence and purpose is this, my friends, to know God and worship him. To know God and worship him. And what the apostle is addressing here, in what he's stating is the exact problem with humanity. The pride and the laziness within humanity stops them, prevents them from seeing the truth of who God is. The sins spiritually blind them. Their own personal desires are put before the desires of God. Paul says, perhaps they will feel their ways towards him. And what he's demonstrating as if a blind man was to come and just feel his way and find God at the end. Perhaps they would. But the truth is, the ones in sin, they just won't. The ones who are spiritually blind won't be seeking God. They're too distracted by their own sins. That was the problem then. And I don't know if you want to challenge me or not, but I still believe that's the problem now. Solution to that problem. We're not hopeless with that dilemma. Look at verse 28 and 29. Paul says, Try to find my 28 there. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are ring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the arts and imagination of man. What's the solution to the problem? Well, if we're going to say that we are his offspring, I'm going to point to the absolute solution to our dilemma, the historical Jesus, all books and we can count, that is credited in our scriptures, yes, but if you don't want to go there, there are other Jewish writings that credit to Jesus. The existence of Jesus is not to be questioned. People don't question his existence anymore. The question that people ask is whether or not he said was true. See, in John chapter 1, if you turn your Bibles there with me, in John chapter 1, we see that the Apostle John begins his description of Jesus in this way. John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Hands that formed everything that we live in right now. If you read the Genesis 1 account, you will see Jesus there. If we were to walk into shops and restaurants right now, what do we usually see at those places? There's usually a little altar there with a statue of some sort, maybe some money and food around it. People are still trying to worship something. But our God isn't made by the imagination of men. Jesus is image, and though we, when we say Jesus, an image pops into our mind because of all the photos and pictures, 
Though they may not be accurate, one thing we know for certain was that he was a real existing person in the flesh like you and me. And then the way that we see God the Father, we try not to imagine what he may look like, but when we think of God the Father, we look to the image of his Son, who embodies the complete nature of God the Father. So to imagine the Father, we look to the Son. And to imagine the Son, we don't look to the images of man, we just know that he is a person like you and I. In Revelation, we had a description of what he will look like in the final days. That imagery is going to be a magnificent thing. That when we see Jesus face to face, I guarantee you, many of us will be standing in awe. I personally cannot wait to be able to sit at the feet of Christ. Can you? To spend the rest of our eternal lives staring into the eyes of Christ who loved us and gave his life for us. Is that your only desire? Is that the Jesus that you worship? Paul is taking an approach with these Greek men by pointing out, not trying to disprove their gods, but trying to point out the reality that all things that we see in this creation All things around us was created by the one true God. A God that is unexplainable, incomprehensible, uncontainable. All those other great words that we can throw out there from those songs. I'm not going to start singing today. But that's it. We can't put him in in a box within our human minds. He is much greater than that. But yet we still continue to give our attention to all the other idols of our lives, don't we? Because we don't see God in that same way. We continue to give our idols to the things in front of us. So Paul, as he announces this, as he demonstrates this to the Greek men, very intelligent Greek men, he ends his sermon with one that I believe every minister should end their sermon. He ends his sermon with an opportunity and a call to those people to reflect and to repent. Look at verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... This was written 2,000 years ago, guys. But now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day by which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and that man we know is to be Christ. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the question isn't, did Jesus exist? The question is, do you believe in his resurrection? Even this, that God has appointed that same man, that same Jesus, to come and judge all the world. Now is the opportunity to reflect and repent. Sounds daunting, sounds scary. And when you're on street evangelism, that's the ultimate goal, you can repent. 
But I'm not here preaching bad news. I'm here preaching good news, positive news. For the bad news, there is a good news. There is an alternative. And you can choose the good side. So turn back to John chapter 1 with me and look at verses 12 and 13. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. This is the great... But to all who did receive him... Wait, let me pause. As we look at this text in John, we need to understand one thing. Many people rejected him then, as John wrote this. Okay, Remember, John wrote the gospel after the resurrection of Christ, after the ascension. So many people rejected Christ then, as they reject him now. Many people rejected the teachings then, as they do now. But I give you the assurance that if you believe in this, then you'll walk away today with a great hope. Now let's read verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, children of God, who were born, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, you know what I mean? We're all trying to plan for families. But who were born of God, that spiritual birth. If you today choose to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I guarantee you the only reason why you desire that is because God has given you a new life in his son. You have been reborn in him. The only way possible to call Jesus Lord is to first be reborn by the Spirit. How amazing is that? It's amazing for those who believe in it. It's scary for those who don't. But the greatest truth is, you don't have to be anything great to come to Jesus. All you need to do, my friends, is believe. And that is the message we share to the people on the streets. I'm not here to just convince you, and obviously I'm not here to convince you, because I'm speaking to the, I mean, the saints of God. But what we do as we reflect on ourselves each and every day is, am I trying to do things to become better for God? Am I serving God because I want some benefit of it? Or am I doing this just because I believe in his grace? This is an overflow of my worship. So what do you worship? Has anything I shared today struck you at your own heart. What do you worship? What do you spend time with the most? Is it your relationships? Your careers? Personal goals? Where do you invest most of your money? Where do you invest most of your time? Your efforts? Do you binge on Netflix? Or do you go and serve God? First, let us rejoice that the good news is this. The invisible God is not only visible in his creation, but he's visible in his son. God came to us, lived among us, dealt with the same temptations and trials that we deal with. He gave his life for us so that we may have a reconciled relationship with him.
that invisible God became visible in his son. But he also became intimate with us. That intimate God says, whenever two or three gather, he is there with them. He is here with us now. Plus, God is with you in the silent times of your life because his spirit is with you. So remember, God is never too far away. Even though sometimes, and I confess I feel this way too, sometimes it feels like he's far away, doesn't it? But the promise is he's not. So to believe in what I shared today is to have faith. To have faith in an invisible God. Knowing that he remains intimate with you, though we may not see him. That he cares for your every need at work, in your everyday life, though we may not acknowledge it or recognize it. So I want to encourage you to go out there and tell people about this great God. Join your evangelism team. Learn more about him. Know him personally as he knows you. But I also invite you to reflect. We all have gods. We all have idols. COVID revealed to me so much of mine. When the first pandemic 2020 Oh my goodness, guys, my life changed. The man I am today definitely was not the man I was in 2019. Like 2020 shook me a lot. So reflect. Reflect and repent. Stop doing the things that don't please God. Please God. And make every possible effort you can to grow in a deeper relationship with Him. I'm not asking for much. God's not asking you for much. But just try and grow a relationship with him. Because I promise you, and you say, I'm going to seek him first. I'm going to put aside myself to try and grow in Christ. I promise you, at the end of that life, at the end of this race, it will be one of the greatest races we could ever run. Life is difficult. Life is hard. And in his son and in his spirit, he is intimate with every one of us. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Mighty God and everlasting Father, we praise you, almighty God, for you are holy, holy, holy. Father, we reflect upon the words of Paul as he approaches these Greek men and describes how amazing you are in all your creation. How you're not served in temples or by human hands, but you are the one who gives all things to all mankind. But Father, you are a jealous God. And we have unfortunately at many times of our lives made God substitutes replacing our worship that is deserved towards you and have worshipped so many other things. Father, hear our prayer as we seek your forgiveness. As we prayed earlier, our Lord, may you give us eyes to see. If we are spiritually blind, O God, give us eyes to see your glory, that we may know your glory, acknowledge your glory, And worship you for how glorious you are. 
Father, we praise you. We thank you. And as we respond to this word with a moment of singing and praise, may our words be a pleasant sound upon your ears. And may the words be something that speaks directly from our hearts, not just our lips. And if we are ever in doubt, O Father, as we heard earlier, may we think twice. We should say and should do, but really reflect on what is your truth. What is your truth, God? I praise you and I thank you for this church in Jesus' name. Amen.